Holly G with the Golf Insiders. It was another golden egg on Easter for Jordan Spieth as he donned the tartan plaid jacket at the RBC Heritage. Jordan Spieth, big win in a playoff against Patrick Cantley on Sunday. And to break it down for us, Bob Herrick from SI.com. Hey, Bob. Hello, how are you doing? This is a, a two-peat for Jordan. He won uh, his last victory was at the Valero on Easter Sunday last year. It's kind of weird how all that, uh, you know, played out like that. And, and as I'm sure everybody knows by now, Easter Sunday next year falls on the Sunday of the Masters. So that that whole uh, you know that whole narrative is playing out. I, there, there's not going to be ever more pressure on him to win the Masters the next year than to keep that that uh, that little uh, religious uh, factoid going. But it is pretty amazing. I think probably what's more amazing is that he didn't win in between Easter Sundays. You know, um, as good as he played for a majority of last year, he never added another win. And uh, and the way he was kind of playing going into Hilton Head with some horrific putting over at the Masters and, again, even during the tournament uh, at, at Hilton Head to win was, was really was really amazing. A, a, a pretty remarkable turnaround. And also with a lot of guys who finished second kicking themselves for not having won themselves. Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, you're referring to his uh, little whiff on 18, a little tap-in on Saturday. And he said he has never been so angry at himself at losing his concentration, Bob. And you really begin to understand how important every shot is for these guys, especially on Saturday moving day, and how difficult it is to win on Sunday. He said he kept thinking all night about how he was going to get that shot back. And then, of course, afterwards in the press conference, uh, after the victory, said that it it was his wife, Annie, who said, all right, you're going to count to five from now on. And he said it it definitely helped him several times on Sunday. Yeah, you know, and I sort of thought it was funny that and it's a good thing she didn't say count to 10. Right. Um, because if you go past 10, it's a penalty. But, I mean, the thought is a good is a good one. Like, take a deep breath. Because the one that he missed, well, he should have never missed, was like, you know, kind of like, you know, he, he was on, on one leg, and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it looked like he and, was playing uh, with his buddies on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, just sort of like tapping it in and, and uh, and so you know it it probably didn't look haphazard, seem haphazard, but in the aftermath it looked that way. Um, and you know he was mad at himself for missing the putt oh, because yeah. because he would have if he makes it he's he's within one. And and so like he just kind of went up there and you know, um, but yet it did sort of highlight he's missed a bunch of short putts. Um, and for a guy who makes an uncanny number of longer putts, even still, the number of short misses is just, uh, it's amazing. I mean, he missed a couple of them. 
they weren't that close, but still four or five footers on Sunday that could have really cost them. Jordan commenting that it was just an unacceptable miss for a professional. But he also pointed to letting down his caddy, Michael Greller, who he said is working so hard out here, and to have me throw shots away uh, is just not fair to him either, which I found, you know, a very thoughtful comment. Yeah, it really was. That was kind of nice, actually. And, uh, um, you know, it, it shows that he knows that what he does has, has uh, you know, there's consequences all around. And uh, to be that aware that it's going to impact his caddy, too. And, you know, I think Jordan knows that uh, Michael is seemingly on the on the bad end of some some harsh comments once in a while. Um, which it's more just that they're, you know, Jordan seems to be venting and, uh, and, and, and the microphones pick it up, you know, and the caddy has to sit there and take it. But it was good of him, I think, to, to recognize that. I thought that was kind of neat. Well, he, he always talks about his team, as do a lot of these guys now. There were a bunch of players on uh, the heels of these guys uh, seven, I believe, finishing one stroke back at minus 12. Another disappointing, I would almost say, harsh finish for Shane Lowry, rinsing it over the green on the par three. Um, you know, another another uh, lot disappointing loss coming down the stretch for Shane. Well, you know, um, He's he's got to be sitting there going, I'm playing some of the best golf of anybody, and I got nothing to show for it. You know, um, he had a great Honda Classic, and you know he, said, he had his moments with the players. And yeah, I mean, look, you know, when he, I think it was 14 that the ball went where he should have in the water. So that was he was leading at the time. You know, I mean, what you got five holes to go, and um, you know, it's just. Um, I, I, I can't quite tell you if that was, you know, a bad break or a horrendous error. You know, you know, sometimes, sometimes is, you know, you can hit a shot that you think you pulled off, and it just is really unlucky that it would keep running. But on the other hand, you know, you kind of have to know. And uh, um, you know, guys putting the ball in the water at Augusta, that kind of thing. You know, you see that happen, you go, how does that happen? Um, but uh, it's just, it's just a horrible mistake in that moment, that's for sure. Well, we're moving on to a really fun event this week, the Zurich Classic of New Orleans. This is the team event where they use alternating uh, four ball and foursomes format. The first and third rounds are four ball, and the second and final rounds are foursomes, Bob. This is such a fun event, and... We're going to get to see Scotty Scheffler back. Uh, now Masters champion Scotty Scheffler, who's who's teaming up with Ryan Palmer. Yep, and, you know, this 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 event, um, uh, I think, I thought it was a great idea uh, when they first instituted, I believe it was in 2017, and it waned a little bit there for a year or two. And now they've got a really, really good field again. I mean, obviously having the Masters champion in is great. You know, they have uh, Shoffley and Cantley were a undefeated Ryder Cup pairing. They're playing. 
Morikawa is playing with Hovland, you know, a Ryder Cup adversary. You know, their partners. I mean, there's just... And, of course, the defending champs, Cam Smith and Mark Leishman. Right. You've got some really good teams. I mean, Jay Haas, who's 68 years old, is playing with his son. I love Um, that. You know, I think that's really cool. I Um, like this one, Ian Poulter and Shane Lowry. Yep. I mean, you've got a lot of names in there, a lot of good names, you know, the, the only the only thing I wish they I wish they would change up the fo- format a little bit because um, I think best ball is is a really hard format for the for the pace of play you know you have four guys playing their own ball um, and I almost would prefer to see them wait until the cut to play that and and add a scramble you know a two man scramble or something I I know that a scramble is you know the, that's that maybe that's considered um, just too far out there, but I don't know. I, I just think it would make it more fun. And I, I, or, or another way to do it is just make it a three-day event, 54 holes, and play three different formats. You yeah. know, alternate shot is really hard. It sure uh, is, and it's, it's a, a great, lot of pressure. <laughs> and it's a great format for the final round because it really is tough, you know. But um, – uh, I don't know. I just there's a part of me that thinks they can make it even better, and uh, and, and I don't know if my idea is the right one or not. But but uh, we have what we have. Out of fairness, I think they want to they want to balance it as much as they can, and especially when you're when there's a cut involved. Uh, but uh, in any case, um, we'll we'll see how it plays out. But I I think two weeks after the Masters, having a team event. In theory, there should be less pressure. You know, you're not going to be as concerned about the outcome. There's no world ranking points. Obviously, the money and the FedEx points count. Um, but uh, I think it's cool that they're doing this, and I and I wish we had a little bit more of this in golf, frankly, some alternative events that, um, you know, give us something else to talk about, you know, because this is a tough week on the golf calendar. You know, we're two weeks after the Masters, there's usually a big letdown afterward. Obviously, Hilton Head is perfectly suited for that. But now we've got this, and that's a couple, several more weeks before another major. Other sports, you know, you know, there's every other sports playing. There's NBA playoffs and hockey playoffs are about to start, and, you know, baseball's up. It's hard for golf right now, so it's good that they have something different for us to, to talk about. I agree. Um... So speaking of things to talk about, uh, now the Career Grand Slam is on the radar for Jordan Spieth coming into Southern Hills, Bob, now that he's fresh off of victory. Of course, uh, pretty close to his home state of Texas in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, you know, we got, we got all kinds of uh, stories shaping up for the PGA Championship next month. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how now all of a sudden again the Jordan Spieth PGA thing is on the radar, you know. And of course, why wouldn't it be? You know, I think it would have been anyway, but now it's even more so. I think one is the the fact that he got a win. Um, he's hitting the ball great. You know, he was very near the top in most of the strokes gained categories off the tee, tee to green approach. You know, it, it, and and it was his putting. 
that was, you know, way down, like 60th out of 72 guys, a strokes gain. It was really poor. You know, and I think there's a sense he can get that sorted. You know, so why couldn't he win the, the PGA? I think it's a great story going in, possibility. Um, obviously, you know, how's Scheffler going to do? Um, and then we've got all these guys who we expect to be up there who haven't done much this year. You know, Cantley's lost two playoffs this year. John Rahm hasn't 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 won. Morikawa hasn't won. Uh, Brooks Koepka hasn't won. DJ hasn't won. Will Phil be there? Will Tiger be there? You know, there's a lot uh, there's there's a lot going on. I think I think it's shaping up to be a great one. On another uh, front, the LIV Golf Group League series. I don't know what the heck we're supposed to be calling it now, Bob. The Saudi backed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, Invitational Series, they're calling it. Uh, some commitments have been announced. Can you uh, bring us up to speed? Well, there's been a, at least we know one player on the PGA Tour who sought a release. Golf Week reported that Robert Garrigus asked for a release. Um, and this is required if you're a tour member to play in a conflicting event. And you need to ask 45 days in advance, and they have until 30 days in advance to grant it. Frankly, I have no idea why they wouldn't grant this release to Robert Garrigus because chances are he wouldn't get into the Canadian Open anyway, based on his status. He's he's pretty much playing. You know, he's he's playing this week in New Orleans on a sponsor's exemption, so he wasn't exempt for that tournament. He's not going to be exempt for, for very many. He's playing, I believe, on past champions status. He's 44 years old. You know, he's played Corn Ferry a bit the last few years. Um, this not is exactly going to move would, the needle. Right. I, this is one that I would guess they will grant. Um, and, look, there's still some issue as to whether or not he would even get in their field. I know it sounds crazy, but they, they do have an a, a, an uh, invite uh, category list that involves, you know, only so many from different categories. They're they're trying to fulfill their field through, you know, the various tours around the world. I would think that he would get in because they're not going to have the depth uh, at this stage. But, um, you know, it's not a given that he's in there. Uh, but I guess, you know, if you want to have any chance of playing, you got to ask. So did I see something about Westwood and Poulter? Yeah, and this is, I actually, you know, I actually got a hold of Norman last week because I think there's been some misinformation or misreporting on things. There's still these stories about guys getting these big money offers to join the league. Well, there's no league to join right now. That ship sailed, um in the fallout back in February and March. And they regrouped and pivoted to having eight tournaments this year. They were originally, their league was originally going to be 14, and you have to play all of them. Well, they're not doing that now. They're basically saying you can play as, as few or as many as you want. Well, if that's the case, then you're not joining a league. And really, that should have been apparent when they they announced their plans back in March like uh, the week after the Players' Championship, they, they announced their schedule, their eight-tournament schedule. And the big news then was 
the tournaments were still going to be $25 million purses, $20 million for the individual portion, $5 million for the team part, $4 million to the winner. And you could play in one or two or four or seven. And there's a, there's a, there's the last tournament is like a team championship, which I'm still unclear how that will work when they're going to have different players in every event. But every event will have a team component in which there will be a, like a team draft on the Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday tournament week. So, um, so yeah, this idea that guys getting guaranteed money, I mean, now maybe some guys will get guaranteed money just to play at a one-off event um, or more, just like appearance money that we know of now. But signing a contract for anything longer than that, I, and so Norman kind of clarified that, and it was the first I'd heard that, you know, he, he actually said at eight events this year, ten next year, plans to launch the league in 2024. So they clearly have shifted. And their their goal now is to just put up these tournaments, get guys to show up, pay out the money, and show they're serious. And um, you know, it's uh, it's not uh, it, it's it's not that far fetched, frankly. I mean, people are gonna are gonna knock it understandably because they are not gonna have the top names. You know, they're just not. They're not gonna have a lot of big names. And but. If they put on tournaments and pay out that kind of money, I, I do think there's going to be some interest, and it'll be interesting to see, like a year from now, if they're able to get any defectors. People, I think, are missing missing the point here. They don't need this to be profitable now or next year or in five years. Like this is a thing that the PIF, the Public Investment Fund, Saudi Arabia, like. They take a huge long-term view. And while nobody ever wants to lose money, it isn't anybody's personal money. It's, it's an investment fund. It's, it's got, you know, $500 billion. So if I'm not mistaken, isn't that half a trillion? I mean, $500 billion. Let's say they put $50 billion into the live golf, $5 billion a year for 10 years. First of all, $5 billion a year? You know, I'm they, shaking they, my they head. Wouldn't, they wouldn't lose it. I mean, they to put on these eight tournaments, they're not going to spend five billion. You know, I mean, and and so my my point is is that they have the, the ability to be patient and try to get this to work. And you know, this, the whole sports washing concept. You know, where it's not about now; it's about ten, fifteen, twenty years from now. You know where they can try to show that they that they had an impact. You know now to me, where that impact is made is more at home. Like there's only one of the events that I'm aware of that's scheduled for Saudi Arabia, and you don't talk. There's no talk about in any of these tournaments about you know improving their their human rights record. So I'm not quite sure how they're accomplishing that goal now, but I, I think that's their long term plan. And it doesn't matter to them how much money it costs. Well, um, we stay tuned. Uh, <laughs> to, but more, more breaking news, and that is your book, your long-awaited book on Tiger and Phil, will be released 
Tuesday, Bob, April 26th. Seems like we've been talking about it since Christmas. We have been talking about it since Christmas. <laughs> yeah, aren't you tired of talking about it? <laughs> well, I am, I am sitting with my advanced copy of Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. And um, I, I will say to my listeners, uh, you got a pretty big, pretty big uh, testimonial here on the back of the book from none other than Jim Nance from CBS, Bob, who writes, the only thing I enjoyed more than broadcasting the Tiger Phil rivalry for over 20 years was reading all the juicy tidbits from behind the scenes by the amazing Bob Herrig. Every golf enthusiast will want to dive into this. Pretty, uh, pretty great uh, kudos from Mr. Jim Nance. It really was. It was very, very nice of him to say that. Um, and I don't know any, if anybody out there is aware of how that works, but that's called a blurb, and it's a little bit awkward asking for them. I'll be honest. It's um, it's a, just a, just a weird quirk of the publishing business. They they love those blurbs from from people that others might know. And, you know, you figure they're not going to do it if they don't believe it or if they don't, you know, they're putting their name on something. So it's kind of nice. I got them from, from some other prominent people, too, like Brandel Chambly and, and, and Rick Riley, who's a great writer, golf writer, author. Um, Ian O'Connor, my buddy, who just wrote a best-selling book on Coach K. Um, it's it's uh, And John Feinstein, too. So, you know, those guys were really nice to do that for me, and um, I don't know if it helps, but, uh, but maybe it does. Well, you're, you're a humble guy, and you're somebody that has watched both Tiger and Phil since the beginning of their careers. As we, as we say in the business, this is a definitive account, uh, over 348 pages, and as we've uh, said over the last few weeks, you could probably write another 300 on what's happened since you finished uh, finished writing this, um, I was curious uh, about your dedication. You wrote for Jackie and Jack, who became quite the expert experts in all things Tiger and Phil. Well, that's my wife and my son, and uh, you know, like I probably should have said a lot more, frankly, but. Um, you know, they, they're the ones who kind of had to live it, right, too, because um, I was working on that book a lot during the pandemic. And what were we all doing during the pandemic? We were all at home, you know, especially, especially during that time, like in my case, where there was no golf being played. Um, and so I wasn't traveling, you know, so they were kind of stuck with me. And, you know, my son was out. There was no school. This is, this is in the spring of 2020, you know, when we got started, when this project got started and, and we're in the throes of the pandemic. So, you know, those poor guys had to hear me a lot, either on the phone or maybe just talking about it or I got to go to my office and write. And that, that's, so that's where that came from. I, I could have probably, I probably should have said a heck of a lot more about them. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, Bob, what, you know, in these juicy tidbits, was there something, you know, it seems like every author, when they go through their this process, there's some revelation or something they uncovered that was unexpected. Was there 
something for you, given how long you've written about Phil and Tiger? There's a couple of little stories that I found to be amusing that were that were insightful. Um, one was about Phil um, at, a, at, at, a, at the British Open a long time ago, 2011. Um, I, I, I won't give it all away. I won't give everything. But basically, he he. This was at Royal St George's, and there was another tour player. I'll, I'll leave his name out of it. It's in the book, though. I name him, and and he happened to be watching on TV, and he hit Phil, hit this incredible pitch shot from short range that he that he drew back about 30 feet. And it, it made him think that maybe there was something going on with his wedges, like maybe they weren't conforming. So at the next tournament, which happened to be in Hartford, and as is allowed, that player went to the rules officials and asked them to check Phil's clubs to see if they were conforming. And Phil found out who it was and obviously wasn't happy at all. Hmm. And the clubs turned out to, to be fine. And what Phil did in the aftermath was write him a note. And he said something to the effect of, dear so-and-so, you know, thank you for your concern about my clubs. Good luck at Q school this year. <laughs> Sincerely, Phil. And <laughs> put it in his locker. And the guy did have to return to Q school, and he didn't make it. So... You know, be careful, I guess, but don't 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 ruffle feathers. And 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 you know, on a more serious note, the, the entire first chapter, I, I do an intro, but the entire first chapter is on the '04 Ryder Cup at Oakland Hills from Hal Sutton. You know that whole thing, the fallout of pairing Tiger and Phil together, impacted him for years, to, even to this day. True. I mean, he caught a lot of grief in the aftermath. He was severely criticized, um, but yet going into it, as I wrote, everybody was excited about it. Like when it happened, people were, 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 there wasn't a whole lot of, oh my God, that's a terrible idea. Sure, there were some who thought that, but there was more excitement than there was negativity. And yes, in, in reporting all of this, you find out that it was a bad idea. You know, the two of them were not going to get along. They weren't very collaborative. Um, and if you did lose, it was going to be horrendous. There wasn't a lot to gain from it. There was far more to lose. But in the aftermath, Sutton took so much grief that in 06, he basically stopped playing. You know, he said, I just, I'd had enough. It, it impacted my career. He said, you know, I look back, I should have waited to be the Ryder Cup captain. I was still playing at a high level then and you know and then he like you know he was he never really did much on the champions tour and uh uh yeah it, and, and like i could tell in talking to him that he, he, he was he was emotional about it uh so that's something that i thought was you know something that i i didn't know i didn't I, you know look i i was sheepish approaching him because i knew it was a subject that that was difficult for him to talk about and yet not only did he did he talk about it, but he was you know pointed in in how much it impacted them. And still, there were parts of it that that really annoyed him the way it played out. It's fascinating. You get to really see how even in the Ryder Cup, 
uh, all that goes on behind the scenes. And uh, it's, it's a great peek behind the curtain and really just a, a terrific read. So, Bob, thanks so much. We always appreciate your time. As having been a long-time friend of the Gulf Insiders, we just you know, wish you so much success with this book. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. No, thank you. I appreciate it.